Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Dixie De La Tour. And he's like, I wish you'd told me that before I had fucking five cocktails. My dick ain't gonna work. <laughs> that and more. But before that, this episode of Risk is brought to you by Sundance Now Doc Club, the new streaming service for everyone who loves documentaries. If you're like me, and you love real stories told by real people who have been through extraordinary situations, or you just love to learn about this universe we're living in, you will love Sundance Now Doc Club. Doc Club brings the human voice back to the movies and the movie recommendations. Unlike other services, the documentary films are handpicked by expert programmers with unique perspectives or by cultural icons like Ira Glass or Susan Sarandon. I can't recommend enough that you check out this amazing movie called The Cruise about this eccentric tour bus guide and street philosopher named Speed Levitch. He gives the viewer a tour of New York City in the 90s that is so unpredictable, so hilarious, and often surprisingly moving and profound. It's just a wonderful treat of a film, and there are so many other amazing films there at Doc Club. And for Risk fans, Sundance Now Doc Club is offering a free 30-day trial to give you a chance to try out their service. Get your free 30-day trial at docclub.com slash risk. That's D-O-C-C-L-U-B dot com slash risk. And this episode of Risk is also brought to you in part by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform. Squarespace sites look professionally designed, regardless of your skill level, with no coding required. You can start your free trial site today with no credit card required at squarespace.com. Use the offer code RISK to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people show t- t- tell true stories. Let's try that again. The show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Apes on Tape. Behind me now, sometimes you just have to make a lobotomized walrus orgasm sound to clear the palate and rejigger things a little bit. I... I did it again. Sweet Jesus, will the episode ever start? Uh, We're calling this week's episode Girl Sex, guys. And uh, I actually stole that title from Allison Moon. Her new book, Girl Sex 101, is not to be missed. If you are a girl and you have sex, you better go out and get it. Now, I know we've featured a lot of sex stories on the show lately. It just so happens, of course, that when you ask people to tell risky stories, sex is the first thing that comes to mind. But remember, we are always on the lookout for people who come from different economic backgrounds, people who come from different spiritual or cultural backgrounds, people of color, People of different ages. People have gone through the kind of things where you may have heard the media talking about it, but you don't hear from the people themselves so often. People have been to prison. 
People have fought in wars. People have dealt with drug addiction, prostitution, anything you can imagine. If anyone comes to mind, or if you just know someone who might know someone, put them in touch with us. I'm at Kevin at risk-show.com. Now, in a little bit, we're going to hear from Kathleen Oterio, who is a fan of Risk. She pitched us a fantastic story. It was a thrill to work with her for the first time. But before that, we're going to hear from one of my favorite people in the world, Miss Dixie De La Tour. Dixie is the founder of Body Storytelling in San Francisco. We did two shows in conjunction with Body very recently, and all three of the stories on today's episode come from those Body shows. You will hear what an enthusiastic audience Dixie has cultivated there. Here she is now, Dixie De La Tour, with a story that we call Strangers in the Night. I love you, thank you. So I'm laying on my back in a room that is pitch dark. There's a lot of noise going on. I can hear moaning and groaning and this thumping down-tempo music and the sound of people all around me and there are people very close by in the dark. There is a mouth on one nipple, a mouth on the other nipple. Somebody's going down on me with a fervor. Someone's kissing me and someone touches me on the shoulder and says, hi, would it be okay if I join in on your party? And I say, well, thank you for asking. Here's how it works. You may participate, but first you must allow me to touch your hair. <laughs> a couple weeks before that, it's a Monday morning, and I get an invite to a sex party. And that's nothing unusual. I go to lots of sex parties. This one's been forwarded on to a group that I'm in. And it is an invite to a party called Darkness Falls. Darkness Falls is a pitch-dark sex party. You can't see shadows. You can't see shit. And they've created this whole website to explain it. At the top of the email is the first five couples who respond to this will win tickets to this brand-new event we're throwing. And I go to the website, and I look up the frequently asked questions, which is kind of like, well, how does this work in the dark? Well... You're going to crawl in because if you walk in, you're going to bonk heads real hard and fall down. <laughs> you are going to have glow-in-the-dark edges around garbage cans so you'll be able to find places to throw away your condoms. The whole room is covered in covered mattresses. And you're going to crawl in in the dark and do whatever you want to do. This thing also says, I know this is a little edgy, so... We have this stuff called sibling tape. It glows in the dark. So if you're in a family that goes to a lot of sex parties, <laughs> you want to make sure you don't have relations with your relations? <laughs> Just let us know. We'll give you some. They also say that you know, this is, this is a lot, so if you'd like to write us and ask if somebody you particularly don't want to accidentally have sex with is in this room, just let us know, and we can let you know if they bought tickets, too. I figure, why not? I think about it, I email, and I get tickets, and I say, so here's the thing. I'm fine with anonymous sex. It's my thing, actually. I love having sex with people having no idea who they are. I've never done it in a pitch dark room, but you know, that's not the part that's the problem for me. My problem is I organize sex parties. I volunteer at sex parties and I know all the perverts in San Francisco. And my one boundary is I don't fuck my friends. My friends are likely to be in that room. So do you mean it when you say I can ask you if so-and-so bought a ticket or so-and-so bought a ticket? And he's like, absolutely. 
I start swapping emails back and forth. I'm throwing out names. Is Jared going to be there? Is Reed going to be there? Is Allison going to be there? Nope. They haven't bought tickets. Nope. They haven't bought tickets. Eventually, I'm, I'm feeling really comfortable. This is obviously so intense, pitch dark sex, that my friends are even freaked out. That's perfect. <laughs> Finally, I say, is this guy named Evil Steve going to be there? And he writes back and he goes, Evil Steve will be at this party. I'm like, fuck. I was so close to going. He says, but here's the thing. Evil Steve is the only man who's going to this party who has long hair. This man goes to as many sex parties as I do, clearly, because he knows everybody who's going to be there. I'm like, well, that's good. It'll be dark. I can keep track of that. As long as I don't fuck anybody with long hair who's male, this is going to work out. I think about it for a while. I've got it in my back pocket. I might just go. I've got free tickets. Why not? A couple of weeks later, it's a Friday night. It's the night of the party. I go to an art gallery on a date with this bald man who's a late 40s pervert. He works at Industrial Light and Magic as a projectionist. I've taken him to an art gallery. We've gone to a bar. We're several drinks in. You might have noticed drinking is a theme to this sort of activity. And after about my fifth tequila sunrise, I go, you know what? We got free tickets to a pitch dark sex party and we should go. (laughs) And he's like, I wish you'd told me that before I had fucking five cocktails. My dick ain't gonna work. (laughs) I'm like, we're not actually gonna do anything. We're just gonna go and see what it's like. So we head over, it's in an art gallery in the Mission that's been turned into a play party space. And because we've been out all evening, the party's been going for many hours. It's been happening. It's probably three hours after it starts, so the noise inside this room is thumpy and sexy and the moans and the groans. People walking down the street must be going, that is some good art in there. And I walk in, and there's nobody in the dressing room. They've got those cheese cubes laid out, a couple of crackers, and then there's a dressing room, and we can see this black curtain that is the entrance to Dartmouth Falls. So we walk in. I strip down to garters and stockings. I've got pull my tits out of my bra. Um, put my hair up in my favorite hair clip for when I'm ready to get busy. <laughs> and my drunk ass reaches through a triple baffle of curtains the kind that lock out all the light. And I crawl into the thumping darkness. And when I'm inside, the energy in this room is overwhelming. The music, the sounds of sex that are everywhere. I put my hand out in front of me. Imagine this. Close your eyes and imagine crawling into a room that has so much sex going on and you can't see one single thing. I crawl forward again, put my hand out again. Do this a couple times, and suddenly I notice I'm going down. I'm starting to move down an incline. Remember those four drinks I had? I kind of roll down a ramp in the dark and land in round, squishy things that have caught my fall and realized some brilliant motherfucker said, there's not enough going on in this room. Let's put a ball pit from Chuck E. Cheese's. (laughs) I lay there drunk, giggling for a little while. Jamie, my date, falls behind me lands in the ball pit and that's pretty much the last I saw of him for a while saw of him for a while because there's no point in having a date at a pitch dark there's, you can't find them, they're gone so I write myself I start crawling in and I'm drinking so I'm like, okay things can get out of hand this can get out of hand easy don't forget your mission tonight is not to fuck a man with long hair Everybody who comes up to me, they crawl up. I feel someone touch my body. And the first thing I do is I reach out. I touch their hair. Oh, my God, their hair is long. I reach up underneath, and they've got boobs. Okay, it's not Evil Steve. 
And then because I'm Southern and that seems incredibly rude, I just kind of go along my way and give him a little pat on the ass. Like, <laughs> I do this to everybody I encounter. I'm just like, pat, wait, thank you. <laughs> and eventually, I have no idea where I am. I have no idea of what this room is shaped like, but I end up somewhere and mouths are on me and mouths are on my nipples and people are touching me. I've checked out all these heads very thoroughly. I know who these people are. There's a woman on one breast, there's a man on one breast, there's a man kissing me, and I realize somehow we've achieved gender balance in a pitch dark sex party. You can't do that shit in, with the lights on. I was just very impressed. The person going down on me is really good at what they're doing, and pretty soon I have a screaming orgasm and then I'm pretty much done for a little while. And so I crawl off, give everybody a little pat on the butt, thank you. <laughs> I crawl through, I touch a few people, and eventually I think I need a moment to recoup. So I find a wall, and I lean up against it. And I'm right next to one of those glow-in-the-dark garbage cans with all the condoms in it. <laughs> Doesn't light shit up. <laughs> And I'm just sitting there listening to the noise and the music and the moans. And I'm just like, this is a crazy idea somebody had. I think I like it. And eventually somebody crawls up. They touch my toe. They come up a little closer. and They get up to me and I check out their head. And they have the craziest hair I've ever felt. It is like standing stock up off their head, kind of crazy thatch of coarse hair. And I'm kind of like, I thought I knew most of the people who do this kind of stuff. But I have no idea who this person is. And I am fascinated by their hair. I reach down a little further, there's a hard cock. Not evil Steve, I already knew that. But <laughs> So we start kissing. And he reaches down, he starts sucking on my tit and plays with me and then he moves away. And when you're done with somebody at a pitch dark sex party, you move back one inch and you're gone. <laughs> comes back a little bit later and there's this tease. Every time he comes back, he does a little bit more. Eventually he's down in my nether regions going to town and I'm just like, who the fuck? I've got my hands in his hair while he's doing it. Who is this? <laughs> this is crazy climbs up on top of me, starts dry humping me. We're making out like crazy. And all of a sudden, I feel the air next to my ear get warmer. And I realize somebody's face is right there. And I hear my date, Jamie, whisper in my ear. And he says, Hey, I have to leave. <laughs> not cool it's like I have to leave and I'm gonna call you at like eight o'clock in the morning we're gonna talk about all of this but I want you to know something you are in very good hands right now and I'm like what what do you I don't know what that means and he goes I'm gonna say it again you are in very good hands right now and I'm like okay the person on top of me has moved their head out of the way to be polite. I kiss my date goodbye. He disappears, which, you know, it's right away because it's dark. And the person on top of me is just kissing and grinding. He's clearly heard the conversation. And if, after a few minutes, he says, so should I go get a condom? And I'm like, well, apparently my date thinks I should fuck you, so let's do it. Goes away comes back. I hear a condom wrapper tearing open. He puts it on his hard cock and he slides inside me and imagine all your senses are just gone except feeling. Sound is pretty overtaking by all the noise, but feeling. He slides inside me and it feels fantastic. I, I'm just shocked. I'm shocked at all of this. And shock's a great way to make yourself come pretty fast, but <laughs> I don't get a chance because less than 30 seconds later, he comes and collapses on top of me. 
And he starts giggling and he says, I'm really sorry. This is a lot. I'm like, right? He's like, I didn't mean to come that fast. I'm sorry. And I'm like, you know what? It's kind of a flattering thing. Thank you. He kisses me. He wanders off and disappears. And I'm sitting in there in the dark, just sitting on my little mattress that feels like it's kind of a way I haven't been touched in a while. And I'm like, I just fucked somebody and I don't have any fucking idea who it was. That could be anybody. I'm really, I like anonymous sex, but I'm shocked at myself. So I just kind of curl up in a little ball and I'm like, if I were to run into them right now, it might be awkward. So I'm just going to sit here for a little while. I'm going to wait for the party to die down so that I don't run into them again because I just had sex with them. This is regular party etiquette. This is not Darkness Falls etiquette. I'm just like, I'm just going to wait so that it's, you know. So I sit there in the dark, listen to the thumps and the groans, the moans, and I'm like, wow, there is a lot of sex going on in this room. I'm going to wait till it thins out a little bit. About a half an hour later, I realize there is no party that can thin out because the brilliant motherfucker who put the sexy downtown tempo music on had also layered a soundtrack underneath it that was the moans and groans of hundreds of people. There could have been 300 people in that room, could have been 10 people in that room. And I'm feeling like, wow, took you a little while to figure that one out. So I get on my hands and knees and I start crawling back out tonight. There's no way to find an exit sign. There's no way to tell where I'm going. It takes me a while to get out of that room. And when I finally get to that triple baffled curtain and find it with my hand and move it aside and come back into that dressing room, there's a little step there and I fall down that too. And I land at the feet of two couples who are getting dressed. And I look at the male part of the first couple, and he's bald, he's got a little goatee. I did not fuck that man. (laughs) I look at the other couple, she's got this beautiful dark bob, and next to her is a blonde-eyed man with a shock of brilliant blonde hair that shoots off in every direction, and I'm like, fuck, I didn't do that very well, did I? (laughs) But I did fuck a very attractive person. And put my clothes on, I get out of there really quick, catch cab home, I arrive home, and when I do, I realize that my favorite metal hair clip, the one that I always use at sex parties, is missing. I've left it in the dark. So I write my friend on email, and I'm just like, thanks for all your help, I went to your party tonight, wow, that was some fucked up brilliance. (laughs) And um, I left my... favorite metal hair clip up. I call it my shiv because it's kind of sharp and I can pull it out just in case, you know? And I really like that thing. So if you find it when you're cleaning up, could you keep it for me? And he's clearly on email too because he writes right back and he says, oh, we found it when we were cleaning up. We will save it for you. And I just want to say, I had so much fun with you tonight. That was incredible. I'd fuck the producer. (laughs) And the next morning at 8 a.m., my date Jamie calls me and he says, hey, how'd how'd your night go? And I'm like, I had sex with somebody in the dark and I don't know who it was. Actually, I do know who it was, but I didn't at the time. And he says, yeah. I'm like, what did that mean, that whole, you're in really good hands? Like, I don't know what you were trying to say. And he goes, so, you know how I work at Industrial Light and Magic as a projectionist? I can see in pitch dark. I could see everything that was going on. And that man on top of you was a rare opportunity, and I did not want you to miss it. 
Thank you. in a suburb right outside of Boston. Not yet, no. Mm -mm. Um, I'm also a recovering Catholic, but I probably don't have to tell you that because I look like a hot topic exploded on me. I was surrounded by Catholics and I didn't fit in there for a second. I actually asked questions. Like in sixth grade, they introduced us to the concept of um, Sodom and Gomorrah. Apparently, if you weren't buried in Bibles when you were a kid, Sodom and Gomorrah was this city that was sinful, and uh, there were lots of orgies, apparently. First grade. Um, yeah. Apparently, uh, God, <clears throat> a volcano, um, destroyed the city because of all the sin, and uh, this guy Lot and his wife escaped. But his wife turned around because she missed the city and all the orgies. And she turned into a pillar of salt, apparently, and I don't have a scientific explanation for that at all. <laughs> but um, I was, you know, that kid in school. I was like, oh, oh, oh! Why would you want to live if you just left all, everything behind, all the sex and all the orgies? <laughs> That was the first time I remember telling, um, hearing from a nun that I was going to burn in hell. Um, and it was certainly was not the last. And I remember my first, like, kind of sexual school incident. I was 11, and I had boobs, because um, I've always been fat. <laughs> I also already had a Marlboro habit, and, um, yeah, Catholic school. And uh, huge hair, huge hair. So I always had a can of Aquanet handy. Yeah! So this guy comes up to me and just looks at me, and I'm suspicious, and he just like reaches out and grabs my baby boob. So I showed him how to make a fireball with an Aquanet can in his face. When I started dating, things didn't get much better than that. I just didn't understand sex and dating in Boston, and especially suburbs thereof. Now, it seemed like guys really wanted sex. And I mean, I wanted sex. Everyone wanted sex. And we didn't have this concept of slut-shaming then. We didn't have the word, at least, but we definitely had the concept, actually. I mean, guys there would barely be pulling out before they'd be yelling to anyone who could listen, Hey, I'm fucking the slut right here, yeah, kid! And so... I was a little wary about who I dated because, well, I wanted to have sex, but if I did, I was a, a wicked whore kid. Yeah. <laughs> and all the guys I like, liked intellectually were gay, but I was a terrible alcoholic at a young age, and so were all my friends, so that didn't stop us from having weird, awkward sex. So when I moved to California, I just wanted everything different. I wanted physical, mental, emotional freedom. And I wanted to do, like, sex stuff. But, like, I kind of didn't know, like, what I even wanted because I grew up in Boston. I mean, this was a place where if you, like, tried to have a three-way, a guy would say, I don't want to see some other guy's junk. So I get here, and everyone's so inviting, and I make out with, like, half the city. <laughs> and I start getting some girl action, too, like, yeah. chicks dig me. I'm like, yeah, this is rude. I'll pack that U-Haul again. 
And I was only here about one year. I mean, it was just exactly one year when my soulmate, Lance, started working at my job. And we had both been kind of in recent relationships, and so I think we were both looking forward to just, like, fucking the whole city, basically. <laughs> and uh, when we both knew that we were having this, like, love at first sight moment, we were both a little bit like, fuck. <laughs> All right. But you know what, it was okay. Because you know when you have that group of friends and you have that one person that you're like, oh, should we take them out? They always like take off all their clothes and get arrested. <laughs> all our friends are that person. <laughs> and in that group, we're still that person. And when we got together, it grew exponentially. We wanted to do everything together. And this guy was different. The first time he told me he loved me, now, this guy pretty much looks like Thor, okay? So he comes out of my bathroom wearing a face full of my makeup yeah. and a feather boa, yeah. and he slides his hand down the wood of the door, and he looks at me and he says, I'm gonna get right to the point, pow, pow, go his hips. He does a whole Broadway production of Big Spender in front of me. Now for one minute I was like, ah, oh, crap, I'm dating a gay guy again. But no, he's just like a, a big straight guy and a shitload of my makeup. <laughs> so we had everything in common. I don't mean just like the same songs, like the same parts of guitar solos. The same movies, the same characters in the movies. We both obsessed over a character in a Kevin Smith movie, Clerks. Yes. Snowball. If you don't know Snowball, he's a quiet character, but it is revealed that he gets his nickname because after blowjobs, he likes to have his own cum spit back in his mouth. <laughs> Snowball was kind of a spirit animal. <laughs> so one day, he tells me that he had never seen Guar. I know! <laughs> How dare he? I've seen Guar over 20 times in five different states. Rest in peace, Odorous. And I was like, no. I mean, you guys obviously know Guar, but just in case, Guar is from the planet of Scumdogia. They were becoming too powerful, so they were annexed by a butt cannon in a death pod and shot here to the most disgusting place in the universe, Earth. And when they thawed out in Antarctica, they took over the heavy metal world. At their shows, you may find a crapapult. If you're thinking, is a crapapult a catapult that shoots feces? It is. And the world maggot. The world maggot eats humans. It does. It actually ate Jerry Springer one time on stage. And they always murder people in the news. One of my favorite scenes was when George W. and Osama bin Laden were playing catch with a bomb and their innards just fell out all over the stage and their blood started pumping out on everyone. It's like the best thing ever. So I know you're like, why aren't we watching that right now? And that's what I said to Lance. So I said, we have to remedy this. And they were playing in like two days, 12 hours away. So whatever, we got in the car and we drove to Portland, Oregon to see Guar. Right? So we're going to the venue. And now that we don't have to drive in the immediate future, we are free to inhale the bar. So we do. Lance goes off to the bathroom at some point, and a man comes up and starts buying me drinks. When Lance comes back, I say, uh, hey, that guy was buying me drinks. 
And he looks around and he says, yeah, do you think he's hot? You want to bring him back to the hotel after the show? And I was like, wow, yes. Really? So he turns around and he's like, hey, come back. We kind of lost the guy in the crowd. <laughs> I think we need to work on our approach a little. But how sweet was that? Right? So, Guar gets on the stage, and we're hammered. And the minute I hear one note, I rush to the front of the pit. Now, before this, Lance didn't frequent the pit, and I always go in the pit. Over the years, I've seen hundreds of shows. I've lost four pit teeth. I've had broken bones in the pit. I've been carried out by EMTs. And for two years as a second job, I worked pit security. Thank you. (laughs) So he's like, wait. I feel bad for the guy. He's like 6'3", I'm 5'2". He's just like, she's going to die. We were going to have a three-way after the show. So we're in the pit and we're hammered. And there's a guy in front of us who's doing this thing I've seen a million times. He's like in the pit, but he's afraid of being in the pit. But instead of leaving the pit, he like is trying to make more room for himself. So he's kind of doing this dance like, oh my God, I don't want to die, but I want to see the band. And so, you know, songs are going on and we're getting hit in the face by blood hoses and it's awesome. So then this guy starts kind of elbowing and... This part gets confusing. Because pits are extra confusing when you're really hammered. So he's like elbowing. And then I think Lance thinks he's hitting me. But then he kind of hits Lance. And then I think he's hitting Lance. And then Lance throws his first overhand pit punch. Yeah. And then I think the guy's hitting Lance. So I punch him too. And then security drags us into the hallway. And I'm like, yeah, I got this. Yeah, this guy is like, and we're like, no, no, that's cool. And then he's like, and I was like, and you know, right, yeah. And they totally didn't understand my completely well-worded response. We got kicked out of Guar for being too violent. Shouldn't there be, like, a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, like, mention for this? So on the way back to the hotel, we're just, like, angry and then horny and then everything. We're like, why did that baby get kicked out? He was the guy that shouldn't have been in the pit. You look so hot right now. And then for five seconds, I have a full meltdown, and I'm like, I have to stop drinking so much. I got kicked out of Guar. When will the madness end? And then we both die laughing, actually falling on the ground at my Lifetime movie voice. So we get back to the hotel, and it's awesome. His mother booked it for us, and she was a travel agent, so she hooked us up. And he strolls in like a four-year-old wearing a towel for a cape and a Burger King crown. He's like surveying his domain. And he just raises his arm and he starts yelling, Thank you, Mom! He gets over to the bed and he faces the bed and yells, Thank you, Mom! And he starts fidgeting with his belt. And he drops his pants like halfway and then he just like lets it rip and starts twisting and he's just peeing on everything. (laughs) Thank you, Mom! (laughs) And I don't know exactly what 
happened next? I think it was like a combination of the alcohol and the guar and the missed three-way. But I just dove like a football player towards the pee. I land on the bed in front of him and it's just bouncing off of my face. Like I'm back at the Guar show, except now it's like beer. And I catch a bunch in my mouth and then I'm just sitting there like a chipmunk. Like, this is hot, right? (laughs) So at first, we just sit there, and he's looking at me kind of stunned at first, like confused. And I'm like, this isn't right, is it? I didn't do this right. (laughs) But then his look changes. And as little bits of urine are dribbling out of my chipmunk cheeks... (laughs) He looks at me, and I can tell he loves the fuck out of me right now. He bends over, and he says, Spit it in my mouth. So I jump up, and I squeeze his cheeks, and I spit it all over his face and into his mouth. And then we make out a bunch. But then we pause, and we both look at each other, and we say, Snowball. That night, we invented the yellow snowball. Thank you. This risk that is Fiddler behind me now, and uh, we just heard from Kathleen Otario. I may be sober now, but I can still appreciate that spirit of letting loose. <laughs> I've been telling people maybe when I'm 70, I'll allow myself to return to my old vices. So look out because it's gonna be a mess. But you know what won't be a mess, it'll be fantastic fun, is when Risk comes to Minneapolis on July 17th. The theme is shock. Pitch us your stories, Minneapolisians. I'm at Kevin at Risk-Show.com. Then the next date is Reno on July 25th. The theme is Mindfuck. We're still taking pitches for that, too. Philadelphia, we're on August 21st, Washington, D.C. 
We're on August 22nd. Philly, the theme is rattled, and DC, the theme is ludicrous. We need pitches for all those shows, so get me at kevin at risk-show.com. Now, a little something I wanted to remind you of. This episode of Risk is supported by Sundance Now Doc Club, the new streaming service for everyone who loves documentaries. And if you love the true stories you hear on Risk, I know you do love documentaries. Discover unforgettable films selected from people like Ira Glass or Susan Sarandon. To get a free 30-day trial, go to docclub.com risk. That's D-O-C-C-L-U-B dot com slash risk. Now let's get back to the stories. Our last one today comes from Elka Carl, another person who had never shared a story on stage before. And what an honor it is. I always love it to hear someone take a risk that way. Here she is now. This is Elka Carl with a story we call... Family Values. It's 11.30 at night on a Saturday in an in-law apartment tucked into a cozy home in the Oakland Hills. I am flat on my back, naked, across a four-poster bed. Directly above me, my husband is kissing my face and occasionally glancing between my legs because there is a man I've met once before with his head buried between my thighs. If I crane my neck and look behind me, I can see a life-size painting of this same man between my legs dressed as an S&M porn clown holding a whip. And if I look a little further over, I see another painting of his wife dressed up as a fucked up Pippi Longstocking clown. And all I can think is, Oh my God, I did not see this coming. (laughs) A few weeks back, I picked up my husband's phone to try to find my phone. I lost it as usual. And I looked at the screen and realized that there was this number I didn't recognize. And then I realized he'd called that number about four or five times when he was supposed to be out at a movie with a friend. And I just knew. My husband had found some dude to suck his cock. Nine years ago, on our second date, my husband told me he was bi, and honestly, it was a relief. He was this buttoned-up lawyer who owned a house in the Berkeley Hills. This is not who I had planned to fall in love with. I mean, he was handsome at all, six foot one, burly, muscular, with a nice beard and curly brown hair. But the lawyer thing, I I couldn't get with it. So, if anything, this bisexuality made him seem a little more edgy and, honestly, probably made me fall in love with him more quickly. And we agreed to try monogamy. I checked in with him regularly every month or two, and I would say, how's this going? Do we need to renegotiate? Do you miss boys? And each time he'd say, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine, which probably should have been my first clue. I thought we had done nine years of monogamy, but we had actually done seven and a half because he had been getting his dick sucked regularly by this guy down the street for 18 months. And I was hurt. I was really hurt. Not so much by the cheating, because that seemed really secondary, but by this betrayal of trust. I thought he should have trusted me to be okay with his sexuality, and he was not. So I spent the next couple nights making this sound I can only describe as keening. 
is a sound a wounded rabbit would make as its entrails are dragging along a snowy path as it's waiting to die. But guys, keening is really boring. And after that, I made a series of couples counseling appointments, and I got a... (laughs) Woo! Couples counseling! (laughs) I have a recommendation for you if you need it. (laughs) And I got on Craigslist. I started looking for ads for dudes looking to suck another dude's cock. Because I knew this semi-anonymous sex he was having was not going to go over with me. I needed to find someone I could vet and who I could trust if he was going to suck my husband's cock. One ad in particular stood out to me. It was written by this man who had described himself as a bisexual married man in an open relationship looking to suck some cock. And maybe there'd be some action on the side for the wife. Sounded good to me. So we started emailing, and then we talked on the phone, and he had this really sexy, deep, resonant voice that I immediately loved. And he seemed pretty sane. So we agreed to meet down the street from my work at Cafe Artis, and right before I walked in, I almost threw up all over myself. I was so nervous. I mean... We're all nervous when we're going to meet a dude from Craigslist for the first time who we're trying to get to suck our husband's cock. But I was extra nervous because if this guy was a crazy asshole, it was going to be so much harder for me to get back online and look for another dude and try to make this non-monogamy thing work for us. So I walked in, got some tea and sat down and waited. And he walked in. And he wasn't a crazy asshole. He was Doug. (laughs) He had swooped back hipster hair, a mustache I would find ridiculous on anyone else, (laughs) a beard, and great taste in shoes. And more importantly, we just connected from the moment we sat down. We realized we had all of these circles of people overlapping and in common. And I felt safe with him. So my husband met him next at Bar Dogwood in Uptown Oakland. They bonded over whiskey drinks and a love of obscure music. And the next step was that we were going to all three get together, and I would find myself on that four-poster bed. (laughs) As we were walking downstairs to their in-law apartment, I kept on thinking of this thing that Doug had said to me right before we came over. He'd said, hey... I really hope you're not afraid of clowns. (laughs) Because there are a lot of clowns in this apartment. Peter and I are terrified of clowns. (laughs) And as soon as we opened that door, we were bombarded with clown ephemera. It was... Clown paintings, clown photographs, clown mobiles, clown head-sized trophies on the wall, clown barware. And in any other situation, I would have found it fucking gross. But I kind of loved it. Because it was so perfectly him. He was just... (laughs) This is a poignant moment, so shut it. (laughs) He was just so comfortable in his own skin and so commanding and confident, and he put me immediately at ease. Peter, though, was really nervous. His shoulders were scrunched up around his ears as he sat on the sofa, And so I sat on the other side of him, and I kept on saying, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm okay. I'm okay. (laughs) And Doug sat on the other side and plied him with whiskey drinks and started rubbing his shoulders and kissing his neck, and slowly his shoulders just relaxed. And in the middle of this, Doug turned and looked across Peter's broad chest, and we met eyes, and it was this moment of just 
complete connection. And I was really surprised. I thought, maybe this isn't just about sucking cocks. And soon we moved to the bedroom, and clothes were shucked off bodies, and I was sandwiched between these really handsome bearded men. And if your fantasy is being sandwiched between bearded men and then getting to see them kiss and suck each other's cocks, I mean, this was my ultimate fantasy. Peter and I left that night not really knowing what was going to happen between him and Doug because he was very unused to actually having a conversation with someone that was going to suck his penis. But I knew that I wanted to meet with Doug separately because he was feeling this crazy connection between us too. So we agreed to meet a couple nights later. And right before we were going to meet, he called again and he said, hey, I don't want to disappoint you. My wife has always been okay with me playing with men all these years, but she is not okay with me meeting a woman separately. I totally understood, and I actually texted him a while later, and I said, you're a really good husband for telling me this and for being on the, on the up and up about it. We agreed, though, that we needed to figure it out. So a few nights later, I went to meet his wife, Candace at that same clown bar in their downstairs apartment. <laughs> I was sitting at the bar with Doug when she walked downstairs from their main house, and she was just emanating this semi-amused resentment at being put in this situation. She sat down at the bar and she had really great curly brown hair that I covet and kind of impish green eyes when she wasn't giving me the side eye and a bust that put mine to shame. And she just was not warming up to me and I got really excited and I thought, I'm gonna make this bitch love me. Because if you don't want to be friends with me, I'm going to try so much harder to be friends with you. (laughs) I'm sure it was annoying, but it must have worked because halfway through the night, we were fast friends. The next night, the four of us were going to all meet for the first time. It was Valentine's Day, and we'd agreed to meet at the most romantic place anyone can ever meet for Valentine's Day, a San Francisco sex party, Kinky Salon. Candace and Peter hit it off immediately. They got on like gangbusters. And the four of us were walking through these crowds of semi-naked people doing naughty things and having a great time. And there was one moment when Candace, Doug, and I were all going down on Peter in this back sex room, and I just thought to myself, oh my God, this is so much better than monogamy. That night as we left, through some furious texting from each party in each car as we were going home, we decided that we were going to do some straight-up husband swapping, (laughs) which is what we did the next week, and then we all met up again at Comal in Berkeley for tequila and tacos, and it seems like it should be really awkward to have drinks and Mexican food after you've had amazing sex with this other person's partner of decades or more. But it was actually not that awkward. (laughs) And we just continued to get better at it because we continued to do these things. Candace and I would go for 6 a.m. hikes where we'd talk about work and the ins and outs of having a bi-husbands. And we developed this amazing friendship separately. We would go out for dinner together. We would go out on separate dates. And we would also do these things that we call summits, which is like this ridiculous event where we drink copious amounts of alcohol and have dinner and bring an agenda of like 15 to 20 items that we have to discuss and Doug will mediate it. I mean, just all of the shit, like if someone said something mean to someone and we have to talk about it. It was at this first summit that we were sitting down to dinner and Peter turned to me and Doug and he said, you two are in love. And even though it hadn't really been said yet, we just could kind of shrug our shoulders and not deny it. It was true, we were. And we're just these very 
openly, um, emotionally open people, and we just jumped in with both feet because it felt right. Peter and Candace, though, are much more reticent and much more careful and probably have a lot more common sense than we do, and they had not had these same emotional connections yet. I mean, they were having rock star sex for like seven hours a night, but they were not falling in love. So Candace came up with this great idea for a lost weekend where each new couple got to go away and do fun things and not have to worry about their regular life. Doug and I went on the first last weekend, and because we're kind of boring and domestic when he's not being a sadistic clown, <laughs> we went to the Russian River and held hands on the beach and did a lot of baking. <laughs> but because Peter and Candace are rock stars, they went to Vegas where they gambled and went to strip clubs and listened to a lot of the Quiet Storm mixes that Peter had curated for nights on end for the trip. And probably did lots of other... <laughs> it's really hot up here. <laughs> and probably did all sorts of naughty things I don't want to ever, ever hear about. And something else happened when they went on that trip. Peter came back and he was a changed man. He had this open face that anyone could recognize as different. That bitch Candace had done in one weekend that I had been trying to do for nine years. <laughs> she had made him more accepting of himself and his sexuality and who he was as a person. And I am forever grateful for her for doing that. They also came back in love, gooey, grossly, completely in love. And Peter started calling her Candy all the time, <laughs> which is really sweet, but also, you know, it's kind of gross. <laughs> and since then, our lives have just gotten more and more intertwined. We spend time doing things like going to barbecues together or taking care of each other's kids or talking out all of the issues that we have with our jobs or our families. They have become our family. And I had never thought that that would actually happen. So I want to just leave you with this. If it seems like you are failing at monogamy, I just want to say, fuck monogamy. <laughs> I'm not saying that you have to find your own weirdo quartet like we did. <laughs> and maybe you just need to hug your partner more. But if you're faced with this choice of either giving up on someone you love or trying something new and crazy, always go with the new and crazy. It might just amaze you. Yeah. Thank you. That is all for this week, folks. This is Clemency behind me now, and that was Elka Carl we just heard from. Don't forget all those dates coming up. Minneapolis, July 17th. The theme is shock. 
Reno, Nevada, July 25th. The theme is Mindfuck. August 21st, we are in Philadelphia. The theme is Rattled. And Washington, D.C., we are there on August 22nd. The theme is Ludicrous. Pitch me your stories, all four of you cities, at kevin at risk-show.com. Risk is a proud and happy member of the Maximum Fun Network of Podcasts, but we very dearly rely on the contributions, the financial contributions, from the people who love what we do. So if you do love what we do, go to MaximumFun.org slash donate and become a member or make a one-time contribution and be sure to earmark your contribution for Risk. Also, don't forget that we teach storytelling also at thestorystudio.org. We do one-on-one training over Skype. We do corporate workshops. We also have these video lecture series that you can take in your own time online. That's all at thestorystudio.org. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>